0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's September 14, 2020. Welcome to the Quadcast. Let's dive in. First up, pick your poison. Doxorubicin-based chemo is the standard first-line therapy for advanced metastatic sarcoma, but it can be difficult, especially for older patients and especially considering a lack of expected blockbuster results. The Phase II EPAS study randomized patients 60 years and older with metastatic sarcoma to single-agent doxorubicin versus the multiple kinase inhibitor pazopanib. The goal of the study was to see if non-inferior disease outcomes with less toxicity, specifically neutropenia, could be achieved with pazopanib. The rates of dose reduction and treatment discontinuation were similar between arms. Interestingly, however, more patients discontinued pazopanib due to toxicity and more patients crossed over to second-line doxorubicin than did the reverse. Medium progression-free survival was indeed not inferior at four to five months in both arms, but response rate was low in both arms, right around 15%. While there was no difference in the overall rate of toxicity, there was a big decrease in grade four neutropenia and febrile neutropenia with the use of pazopanib. The bottom line is, in older patients with advanced sarcoma, pazopanib offers a comparable which unfortunately means not too great treatment alternative to doxorubicin with a different side effect profile thanks to Grunwald JCO 2020 of second counting the loot three angiotensin receptor antagonists insulutamide apalutamide, and daralutamide are available for men with non-metastatic castration resistant prostate cancer. All three improve metastasis-free survival, and now we have final survival results showing that all three improve overall survival compared with continuing first line ADT alone. Survival outcomes from Aramis, the phase three derilutamide trial, were initially reported at ASCO 2020, and are now available in the full publication. At three years, darolutamide improved overall survival, taking it from 77% to 83%, with a 31% relative reduction in death. So which androgen receptor antagonist is preferred? The current arguments for or against certain drugs centers around toxicity. The problem is, another study at ASCO 2020 demonstrated major discrepancies in the rates of adverse events on the placebo arms of these trials, concluding adverse event reporting in both Prosper and Aramis were less precise than those reported on Spartan. The bottom line is, darolutamide joins enzalutamide and apalutamide in improving overall survival for men with non-metastatic, castration-resistant prostate cancer but caution should be exercised in directly comparing trial data to decide which drug to use. Thanks to Fazazi, New England Journal of Medicine, 2020. Up next, drifting from the truth. Approximately two years ago, there was a commentary from the American Board of Radiology's representatives in radiation oncology There was a quote that said, generally available national residency match program data suggests that during the past decade, regardless of a belief within the radiation oncology community, trends in the quality of residents accepted for training have been drifting slightly downward. Well, this study, published in the Red Journal 2020 by Chaudhry et al., challenges that, quote, they took a look at the NRMP data and analyze it for residents who matched into radiation oncology from 2007 to 2018. Things like USMLE Step 1 and Step 2 scores, research output, advanced degrees, and Alpha Omega Alpha membership were used to quantify resident quote-unquote quality. Over that decade, the words drift and downward don't really do a good job of describing what happened. Step 1 and Step 2 scores for matched students rose, with Step 1 increasing from 235 to 247, and Step 2 increasing from 237 to 253. Both of these were persistently well above average. Mean number of abstracts, presentations, and publications more than doubled, from 6.3 to 15.6. And finally the proportion of students in AOA went from 24 to 35%, or double the average for all other specialties. In other words, the NRMP metrics of those matching into radiation oncology are consistently significantly better than those of the general pool of matched students. The bottom line is, a decade of NRMP data shows that the quality of residents accepted into radiation oncology has been drifting slightly upward. Up next, intensive care. It's not uncommon for patients receiving radiation to wind up in the emergency department or even the hospital. Shield RT was a prospective study at Duke that asked two very interesting questions. First, how well can machine learning identify patients? at high risk of acute care, meaning emergency department visits or hospitalization during a course of radiation? And second, does a more intensive bi-weekly treatment management schedule reduce the rate of acute care? The machine learning algorithm was trained to identify patients at greater than 10% risk of acute care during radiation therapy based on pre-treatment data and treatment plan. A third of treatment courses were identified as high-risk, and those patients were randomized to standard once-weekly treatment management visits or experimental twice-weekly visits. Interestingly, the rates of concurrent chemo, IMRT use, and treatment duration were comparable between the low and high-risk cohorts. GI and CNS malignancies were highly represented in the high-risk group though. Among high-risk patients, the intensive biweekly visits resulted in a 10% absolute and a 45% relative reduction in the number of patients requiring acute care, taking it from 22 to 12% during radiation. In comparison, patients identified as low risk had a less than 3% rate of acute care utilization. Most acute care visits were related to neurological or nutritional complications. The bottom line is machine learning effectively identified patients at high and low risk of acute care utilization. And twice weekly treatment management visits reduced acute care utilization among those who are at high risk. Thanks to Hong et al., JCO, 2020. Up next, immune to immunotherapy. Hormone receptor positive breast cancer has notoriously low immunogenicity, resulting in quite lackluster responses to prior attempts with immune checkpoint inhibition. One thought is adding immune checkpoint inhibition to chemo may have a synergistic effect. You might ask why. Well, chemo, such as the microtubular inhibitor, aribulin, blunts the immunosuppressive effects of the TGF-beta pathway. Plus, a combination of chemotherapy plus immune checkpoint inhibition has proven quite successful for triple-negative breast cancer. This phase 2 trial, as published in JAMA Oncology 2020 by Tolany et al., enrolled 88 women with hormone receptor-positive HER2-negative breast cancer refractory to two plus lines of previous endocrine therapy and no more than two previous lines of chemo. All patients received aribulin, a common second-line chemo option for hormone receptor positive breast cancer, and were randomized plus or minus the addition of pembrolizumab. Unfortunately, the primary endpoint of progression-free survival was virtually identical and not very long at just four months. Additionally, there was no difference in objective response rate. The bottom line is, we still haven't seen a breakthrough for immune checkpoint inhibition in the treatment of hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Up next, don't undercompensate. For the impact of virtual interviews on diversifying the workforce with applicants who are underrepresented in medicine. This editorial published in the Journal of the National Medical Association 2020 by NORA suggests that creating spaces such as virtual hangouts creates an opportunity to adequately assess for effective communication and other clinically important skills that are neither available on a paper application nor easily evaluable without an in-person visit. Finally, cutting the cord. Global pharma giant AstraZeneca has indefinitely suspended its phase 3 trial of a COVID-19 vaccine after one of its more than 10,000 participants developed transverse myelitis. Thanks to Wu, New York Times, 2020. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.